Hello and welcome to another edition of the Week in Review. I'm SD Wicket and I'm joined by Mario Lagos. I'm going to mix it up this week. Mario, how are you, sir? I'm well, how are you? I'm very well. You always ask me how I am and it's, it's the highlight of my week. Uh, now on to the very rude Luke Perry. Luke, how are you, sir? Well, it's it's not a case of rudeness this time. Mario's already asked the question and you've answered. Yeah, but it's still, still polite. Don't forget where we are, you know. Being being British is about manners, that didn't didn't you know? Oh yes, I doff my cap to manners and tea and fish and chips and yes, the like. yes. As uh, we'll we'll <laughs> move there, and it seems uh, we 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 may have left the the, the weather report in the, in the dust, Luke. Um, well, the thing is, it's it's now earing into winter, but it's dark outside, meaning unless it's thundering with rain, I cannot tell what the weather is. Well, it actually was earlier on, right before the sunset. But also, I feel like we may have ever so slightly jumped the shark on this joke now that Colonel's not even here to get mad about it. It's just not fun anymore. Yeah, Ma- Mario, Mario doesn't really push back on it. Doesn't, there's no one really to annoy with it. So I think this, uh, until 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 enough time has passed where it's fresh again, we'll, I think we'll, we may leave it in the past. But um, uh, that's leaving it in the past. And now, now to look uh, forward to the future. Um, it's been a great time of change in the UK. Um, new king and a new prime minister. And um, a few weeks back, we focused on on the former, on the new uh, King Charles III. Um, and now onto the latter, who seems to have uh, bodied the UK economy in a matter of weeks. Um, Mario, what do you make of the UK's uh, latest uh, economic woes? Um, well, it's difficult to know where to start. You had the mini budgets and of course the um headlines that came out of that were the abolishing of the 45p rate the cut or so-called cut to corporation tax which um reverses the 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 planned cut prior to the mini budget you had the energy bailout and on top of that there's now talk that there are going to be benefit cuts to pay for the tax cuts um, and that there's going to be an increase in immigration, although this isn't part of that many budget, an increase in immigration as part of the so-called pro-growth agenda. And, you know, this is just sort of pound shop Thatcherism, really, isn't it? Um, sort of Thatcherism implemented by idiots. Um, the markets, you know, the pound crashed and then it went back up but the reason it's gone back up is because interest rates are heading towards or people project people are betting that they'll hit six percent and so putting to one side the economic calamity that this all threatens to be it's a complete betrayal of um the 2019 manifesto which was a rejection of this kind of economics and a rejection of this kind of governance. So all in all, I can't wait for uh, Liz Trust to go. <laughs> yeah, it's a very quick turnaround, isn't it? I mean, I mean, obviously, neither of us were really sort of singing from the rooftops when uh, she came in. I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of, we were saying on the podcast right before the, the she was sort of anointed, which is you know which flavor of liberal do you want? Do you want the the former Lib Dem girl boss, or do you want the the Stanford tech bro? Um, not, neither would have been ideal, but but both both of them sort of it seemed would have been the um, 
almost the the last hurrah of the neoliberal edifice in the UK, um, which it just seems to, you know, in the scheme of things, have been just a complete unmitigated failure if you look beyond, you know, meaningless consumer goods, um, which are, you know, imported from elsewhere in the world, you know, not even benefiting the UK worker. Um, industrially, this nation has been gutted. Um, our export market has dropped significantly to the point where now our economy is based on the service sector and on the, on the industry of, you know, imaginary money in, in, in um, stock trading. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, Luke, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you in now. Um, what do you make of this? Do, do you think the, uh, the neoliberal era is over? Well, I'd hate to predict the future. I don't think it will be fully over until this uh, entire debt bubble bursts. Now, this is, uh, I think, a crisis we will certainly encounter in our lifetimes where fiat, where fake fiat money is proven conclusively to be fake because one day um, the world will, will just run out of this um, this plastic currency, really. Uh, they've tried to prolong it. I mean, in the 1971, the, the US lost the gold standards. So they, they just had to uh, sort of place their economy on a pinhead. See, and um, that's a really interesting point, because if you look at any graph of, you know, um, household income that kind of thing, or any any metric of, you know, the, the prosperity of the, the working and middle classes, it has been pretty much steadily decreasing since that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and as I say, the uh, it was delayed again in 2008 when um, Western governments bailed out the banks because of the crash and uh, yes spot on wicket because how the economy works is it basically the elites print money which increases the price of their assets and decreases the price of their debts and the ordinary plebs like us just aren't in this world at all we don't have the financial resources so when inflation inevitably goes up which it must do as more money must be printed to literally keep the world from collapsing within we get poorer yeah, because inflation bites. While we're talking about fake money, one of the headline measures that I neglected to mention <clears throat> was the lifting of the cap on bankers' bonuses, in order to. Um... You, Mara, are you are you are you implying that the bank the bonus the bank the bonuses the bank the bonuses? Well, <laughs> there's there is two points to that. Uh, well, well, there's three actually. There's the optics of it, there's the morality of it, and the third is the the purpose of it and obviously you know you can do the bankers the bonuses and all the rest of it and say it's immoral but that's actually let's park that because the the reason you know but probably it's because quasi Quartang is going to go and get a, a job as a non-executive director at a bank after this fiasco and they'll reward him um but uh, parking that the alleged reason why they're doing this is because they want to stimulate the financial services sector in the economy on which we're already over dependent which um you know operates this sort of casino uh, gambling scam where this fake money goes round and round that doesn't really exist and what we really need is you know manufacturing we need agriculture we need r d we need science and technology we need we need to be sending up satellites we need spaceports we need fishing we need actual real things that exist mm. um and and you know you, you would have thought just to just to very quickly conclude that point you would have thought that covid uh, which was a relatively minor viral disease that um 
brought this country to a standstill because we couldn't produce basic things like plastic latex gloves would really hammer home the message that fake virtual money means nothing you actually have to be able to make things and do things you have to have a big army you have to have a big manufacturing sector you have to have a big navy Mm. um but you know these people they just live in sort of um adam smith's manta masturbatory fantasy land um and that's where they want to stay well they want to stay because it benefits them as i said they are they are the in-group. When money is printed, they benefit. The price, price of their assets go up and um, they control its flow. And uh, the thing is, we've also made not just them, they, the elites haven't just made themselves, but the rest of us entirely dependent on the financial speculation. Because if you ever worked in any any office whatsoever, there's the financial speculators, the HR people, these people don't bring in any sort of meaningful benefit to society. They haven't killed an animal or harvested a field. So that money has to come from somewhere. It, it's just printed from the sky. It's full from the sky. And then it's just handed out. And then that, that filters downwards. And, and when you get inflation is when the elites don't suffer from inflation. As I said, they're, they're the first to the trough. They have more money than relative to the prices at hand. It's only when, of course, the money eventually filters down to us prices go up and our purchasing power decreases and why have we worked hard for it all yeah i mean it's taking tony blair's we're all middle class now to its logical endpoint in which um we all so you either are generationally unemployed on the dole um or you're working in a white collar job as a diversity manager or a hr person or something to do with spreadsheets. All spreadsheets could be abolished tomorrow and nothing would change in the country, by the way. Um, Someone who works with spreadsheets, I do agree. uh, Yeah, as someone who worked past tense with spreadsheets, completely pointless. And everything, um, and then we insource essential activities. For example, we import 80,000 immigrants per year on seasonal visas to pick fruit. Um, We insource people who work in abattoirs. We insource um you know uh, all all the key workers all the all the carers and um things that are actually needed to run an economy well we work in these completely imaginary industries um that, that, that could disappear tomorrow and nothing would change and with what's going on with russia you know as the fuel dries up as the nights get darker and the weather gets colder um that realization is um increasingly apparent but not to the people that run the country mm. yeah this is, this is what we've always said these people are uh, very insulated from their own uh choices you know um case in point trust now wants to uh you know her, her solution to the almost immediate um uh, chaos to her own actions is you know bring in more immigrants right i mean mm. um the notion that the UK even has a border at this point is is absurd. If you know Albanians are getting in on on asylum visas, you know our border is to the South Pole and back. Yeah, what are Albanians fleeing? What? Well, who cares? Um, you know, uh, they they can't get on boats and 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 cross without permission. Um, yeah. the, the the thing is, you know, people can't come into our house unless you invite them, and 
um, I'm all in favour of inviting the right people. But the, the the point about immigration is that we handed out one million visas to foreign nationals last year, and a large percentage of that can be um, a large percentage of those were student visas, which were a slightly different matter, but um, the majority weren't. And Liz Truss wants to increase that number. And now you can, you will increase um, uh, national GDP um, and you will increase growth by um, massively increasing the labour force in this way. Um, that's true. Um, but of course, the consequences uh, culturally, uh, socially, uh, criminally, in terms of the labour market, in terms of the conditions of the British people, are, um, of course, they're going to get worse. But as we've already established, um, those things aren't of concern to um, Liz Truss and, and, and those idiots in her government. Well, they're completely insulated. I know this is a point we're probably going to bang to death in this episode, but they are. They're not affected by criminals. They're surrounded by machine guns 24-7. They're not impacted economically. In fact, them and their mates are expected to gain from this. So socially, again, they live in their own Blairite liberal utopia where they shake hands and rub elbows at Davos or wherever with the people who think and act exactly as they do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's it's interesting because you know you you, you think um, you, you think each of these policy choices we you know oh, this is this is going to be the last straw this is going to end you know the total monopoly of power well you know um, and it, it seems that they they have gone for the final solid base which is uh, pensions um, you know that that's come under fire in, in the mini budget as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't see the party being upended because, again, it is that party. It is that continuity party. I mean, there's there's been talk a lot over the last couple of years over the, the idea of, you know, um, how, how effective would um, a, a sort of a, a momentum style takeover of the Tory party be? Well, not at all, because the Tory party is simply the continuity party and, you know, a, a ragtag bunch of, you know, Twitter people wouldn't... Mm -hmm. and, cannot even dream of you know out muscling the, the donor class who again because they're tethered to big business who see national borders as being kind of in their way rather than a, you know a, a, a natural frontier they don't care about you know these things well look there are of course vested interests there's big business there's lobbyists and all the rest of it but um you know possibly in contrast to the two of you I believed to an extent in the ability of the Boris project to get particular things done on particular issues and to have certain successes. And actually, in a way, and first of all, there was external pressure from UKIP and then um, there, there was internal pressure from party members and so on. And then there was Boris seizing an opportunity with Dominic Cummings. You actually look at the way conservative policy metamorphosed uh, or metamorphosed however you say that word um, in relation to uh, free ports um, in relation to um, state aid um, we look at Teesside airport for example uh, in relation to furlough uh, in relation to increasing corporation tax 
um, you know, free school meals, all these kinds of things. And, and, and people were telling me Boris Johnson's the most right wing prime minister we've ever had because, you know, that's the garbage they saw on social media. And I would say he's he's the most left wing economically prime minister we've ever had in my lifetime. Oh, yeah. Um, From, at, least, at least since Clement Attlee. <laughs> Well, the most libertarian prime minister in history ran full head speed into totalitarian lockdowns. Another thing to, to factor in too, you know, we see, you know, the um, financial chaos happening, you know, to, to, to the pound and just to the British economy as a whole. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, how much that can be laid at the fact that the British government borrowed hundreds of billions of pounds to cover you know, it, it, it's it's spending policies during the lockdowns. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is that uh, all governments borrowed huge sums of money during the lockdowns. And and look, I'm not an economist, so I I, I probably don't have the the, the um, fullest grammar to express this. But my read of that is because all governments at that time borrowed huge sums of money and that all things being relative uh that the the sort of ubiquitous nature of the borrowing offset that and and actually it probably increased market confidence because it demonstrated <clears throat> a willingness of those governments to keep their economy um sort of running in a dormant mode um, which is effectively what happened <coughs> excuse me um, had we not done that, large swathes of the economy would have collapsed. And of course, you can say, well, we shouldn't have done lockdowns, but that's what happened. And that's what virtually every government in the world did. Mm. So, in effect, as, as we've already established on this podcast for over a year and a half, the Tory party is the party of continuity. Wherever the social tides wave, wherever the economic tides wave, the Tory party or even the Labour party, should they be elected, would follow the, the global sheep, really. They would take their orders from Washington or Davos or wherever and follow the same people who are like them. Well, let me return to the point I was making about Boris Johnson being left-wing on the economy. And I, I agreed with much of his policy agenda on the economy, other than in areas where people like Liz Truss were involved, which is in, in relation to trade deals, particular with, particularly with Australia and Vietnam and places like that where she sold us out as cheaply as she could. Um, his economic programme was divergent from, you know, uh, the IMF agenda or the EU agenda or uh, or, or, or whoever else is. Um, on, on social policy, um, I, I do think internally there was an attempt, you know, you look at something like the Rwanda plan, which has so far proven to be an unmitigated failure. Was that was, in my opinion, a genuine and serious attempt to do something radical about immigration. That ultimately failed. However, with Liz Truss, um, what, and all those things that Boris did were born out of an understanding of British politics, because there was such a thing as the mean British voter. The mean British voter essentially believes that we should nationalise um, utilities and hang paedophiles. Okay, that's why Corbynites can claim that their policies have eighty percent support because they do, and why um, uh, hard right people can claim all their policies have eighty percent support because they do. 
um, the average Briton is neither left wing nor right wing, and they're not centrist either. They take policies from the left and from the right and from the centre, the liberal centre, um, probably in relation to um, marriage and things like that. Um, so Boris completely understood that. Um, so, so people are socially conservative, for example, on immigration, but not not necessarily sexuality in this country. I'm, I'm, I'm sceptical of the notion that the Rwanda plan was uh, an authentic attempt to, to curb immigration, because for me, anyone, even in the in the rudimentary planning stage of that plan, would see that the various activist courts and activist lawyers would get in the way of that which they did. So to institute a plan and try to go ahead with it without doing anything about the overhead that the um, European Court of Human Rights or you know all these legal bodies have over UK immigrant UK sort of policy around deportations doesn't strike me as being authentic. Um, it, it it strikes me as being the Tory sort of tried and tested method of every now and then throwing a bit of red meat to the conservative wing of the party um i i don't trust them <laughs> well i disagree and we can't prove this um i can only offer things that 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 might make it seem like a genuine um okay okay, okay. The, the, the less like let's play this out then so if you if you were, I don't know, say if, if Boris came to you and, you know, whenever, whenever it was like November of last year, whenever it was and said, you know, hey, we, we're thinking of doing this Rwanda plan. Uh, we want you to, we want you to, to, uh, to lead, lead the charge in this, right? I mean, w would you factor in the courts? Yes, but um, if you look at Scandinavia, uh, in Denmark, they have a policy where when an area is regained by the Syrian government in the civil war that's occurring there. Syrian refugees who um, who are from the the areas which have been made safe are deported. This has been going on for years. Um, they've also signed their own version of the Rwanda plan without, as far as I'm aware, protestation from the European Court of Human Rights. Uh, if you look at Sweden, they have deportation programs. Um, if and and Western Europe, not so much. But if you look at Spain, I mean, Spain, uh, as I think I discussed on earlier podcast, when migrants arrive on the shores, illegal migrants who are attacking the police and trying to violently attack the country, they are beaten, but literally beaten back into the sea with batons. And I've never heard a complaint uh, from the European Court of Human Rights. Mm. I think there is an extent to which um, um, you, that particular institution attempted to punish us, uh, particularly in the way that that judgment was made, which was out of hours by an unnamed junior judge who who banned the whole thing for for such a long time. Now, there are there are, there are issues separate to that, for example, the deportation of criminals, which has been um, occurring unmolested by activists, judges and lawyers for for decades, for um, for a century, perhaps or more um certainly for more they used to go to australia for that matter um now within the last few years it's been um it's become extremely difficult to get planes full of criminals off of the runways mm -hmm. because there has been an exponential growth in activist lawyers 
and their foot soldiers, their Antifa or Stop Oil or, or whoever, foot soldiers who are willing to blockade um, runways, who, as, as you might have seen in Glasgow or London recently, who are willing to blockade uh, police vans who are trying to deport criminals. So that's a second issue. Um, and then the third issue is our own courts, which uh, in this uh, way appear to be um, systemically corrupt. And, and, and one more element of that is unions, for example, the Border Force Union, which launched a judicial review against the government to prevent boats being pushed back. So, yes, there's the European Court of Human Rights to consider. However, there is such a um, tidal wave of um, opposition entrenched inside the establishment that, um, that there's so much to fight, you know. So, so that again, that sort of leads us back to the same question, just just in different clothing. Then, like you know, if you attempt to go ahead with the Rwanda plan without doing at least something about the, the about this this fifth column who just get in the way every single time, again, can the plan be fairly called authentic? If you know, yeah, but I I think someone with the knowledge that it'll be scuppered. I think there's been an underestimation of the strength of this so-called shadow state and its proxies in far-left groups. And I think that mistake was made by Donald Trump and his team, yep. you know, right from the beginning when Steve Bannon got thrown out, who wanted 60% taxes for the richest, and he was thrown out and replaced with uh, uh, Jared Kushner. Um, there's been an underestimation of it from the pro-Brexit factions um, who had no idea about the... Uh, the vile tricks that would be played by the opposition to to, um, to to beat down that democratic vote. And there has been an underestimation of it from voters. Um, and I, I'm, I, I think it's more, I, you know, people I know who have spoken to Priti Patel, you know, report as far as is, um, can be divined her views on these matters. And she's not somebody who believes in open borders. She is somebody who wants to control the border. Okay, mm -hmm. but when you have, so what you're saying is why didn't they do a purge of every tier of the establishment? Not, why did they... not necessarily why did they do that, I'm saying, but why did they go ahead with a plan that they knew was going to be scuppered if the point, the point of the plan was anything beyond just appeasing the base? Well, I don't know that they know that they knew that and I don't, I think it's yes, more plausible that they didn't know it because um, there is no, there is actually no law anywhere that says we can't deport illegal immigrants. Illegal immigration is a crime. Um, and so um, I think it took everybody a surprise when the European Court of uh, Human Rights made that judgment mm. i think it was expected that uh, the unions would oppose it that shadow elements would oppose it and that they could be overcome but the european court of human rights i think that was an unexpected turn and um look i hear what you're saying but if a government wants to come in and actually do anything they they have to probably get rid of um you know look people in the civil yeah you, you have to clear the path which can be done i mean blair did that um you know, it, in order for Blair to have passed a lot of his sort of anti-traditionalist or anti, you know, even anti-British policies, 
he would have needed to have got got rid of a lot, a lot of the stalwarts and you know in the house of lords who would have amended certain bills so he, you know he he adjusted the laws to remove the sort of the the its traditional spine i.e the hereditary peer um you know clearing the path is possible uh, sorry Luca, you, you come off this but it, it's just just a matter of political will uh, um, yes i agree yeah. and uh, the like of blair's ilk did have that will but they also had a uh and unsus the unsuspecting institutions who they could very easily hijack. Mm. And that, that had been going on for at least three decades before Blair even took power. And uh, of course, once he did, he stacked what were, by that point, reasonably neutral institutions with his own goons. But that also has the case of uh, there's a new gatekeeper in charge. It's not about how good you, good you are to perform the job. Or how loyal you are to the institution at hand or the profession be it the police the fire service whatever but once these ideologues are written they pull the ladder up from up behind them and yeah. therefore only ideologues can access it i mean you see this with universities as, as clear as day mm. and uh, so the tory party and definitely the Trump administration they knew that i mean trump was elected because of the deep state there was a huge resentment against the, the washington insiders the cia the lot but of course, he's the, the deep state doesn't really operate by democracy, does it? It perceives its own agenda, and that's that. Well, it, and it, so it, the, the, the Tory party did know when they were launching the Rwanda plan that they would encounter the opposition, yes. They tried to do something that they, they thought would be worthwhile to their cause, but they failed because number one, they underestimated the strength, as Mary said, and number two, they did not have the power to remove these people. It is very difficult in this country, to the point of impossible, to fire a civil servant. And if the Tories go for sacking people because they are left-wing... Now, I, I do agree, if I was in power, I would do everything I can to remove a left-wing civil servant. They are too treacherous and untrustworthy. But even if I was in Liz Truss's or Boris Johnson's shoes, I, I would not, and I could not, because you'd get sued into oblivion. Yeah, and 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 also one thing you mentioned, Mario, that I kind of want to circle back to and kind of you know add to the wider point here is you know of um, <clears throat> the the realities of <clears throat> late stage democracy. I mean, you said you know legal immigration is a crime. Yeah, sure it is, but I mean, I think what what um, separates our time from uh, a, a normal political epoch is is a sort of simple axiom that you know that sovereign is is he who interprets, right? I mean um it almost doesn't matter what's a crime on the books or not you know rioting is a crime um but you know how many prosecutions were there compared to you know january 6th i mean it's 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 just it's, it's, it's this is all done on the on the friend enemy distinction so i mean the the elite legal immigrant is, is is not you know in the eyes of the regime a criminal but someone who goes on twitter and says that they shouldn't be in the country is um, yeah, I believe it was Border Force, or it might have been some kind of adjacent organisation that said they will, from here on out, be referring to illegal immigrants as arriving persons. Yeah, 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 exactly. And because, um, you know, there is this myth, and this is going back to the whole thing about, you know, Tory entrism, the same thing, where there is this myth of liberalism that is, you know, the, the neutral or the malleable institution. You know, anything that is not institutionally and codified as a as a as a traditionalist institution will become liberal over time you know there was a time where border force i mean in order for it to even be named border force had to have at one point at least been dedicated somewhat to the sanctity of the british border not anymore you know you, you had that 
very bizarre quote from the outgoing head of border ball saying you know that the border shouldn't exist and that there's these arbitrary myths where you know in the case of britain being you know an island is laughable um as there's a, a physical frontier being the english channel and the north sea and the irish sea but i mean um the idea that they are malleable and you know neutral institutions that that will simply go with the tide I, I think is nonsense i think the what we have now are they're not committed to truth or even to democracy they they're committed to the progression of their own utop utopic worldview and that includes you know a, a sort of a shangri-la of different colors and creeds all holding hands together you know a, a nation where no one has anything in common apart from what they got from Deliveroo that night. You know, it's it, it's it, it's just the it's just the the post revolutionary liberal vision of the world, um, and all parties, big and small, are just you know dedicated to the furthering of that. And so the idea that you know um, you can say, oh, but like it's a crime. Like here, here's the law. They're breaking the law by by entering the UK on a dinghy. Well, they don't care. Well, yeah, quite, um, and. You know, there's a few things that are going on here. One is that, for example, in the civil service, we've had things like um, uh, BAME, Black and Minority Ethnic, um, Fast Streams, um, or, you know, a special placements, special advantages, special training uh, that excludes white people in order to get a disproportionate amount of non-white people into the civil service and things like that. And then you add on to the fact, uh, add on to that, that, you know, in order to get into the civil service, you need a degree and people are coming out of these, um, you know, Marxist That's training crazy. camps um, and then they get straight on the fast stream and bonus points if you're non-white. And then you say, um, why can't we control our border? And then you say, well, who's who's in charge of these things? Who's who's making the decisions? Um, yeah, I hear that. But um, just one thing I'd circle back to when we're talking about uh, whether the Boris government really was sincere with the Rwanda plan. You know, look what he did with proroguing Parliament. That was a, that was a serious yeah, right, right, right. That was a serious that was a serious risk. That was a yeah, and it, and it and it paid off because he. In effect, he had the guts to go through with it. But um, he, in order to do the kind of... Um, so what's required now is an, a, a sort of uh, revolution within the British state, okay? A sort of um, Cummings-style um, revolution. But if Boris would have... Uh, first of all, I didn't think he had the stomach for that. But if he did have such an appetite, he wouldn't have been able to state it because... 90% uh, of his MPs would have resigned at the prospect of such a revolution. Yeah. They are conservatives, after all. Yeah. And go going on to the wider point about why these conservatives are conservatives, power only cares about preserving itself. If, if you were, say, a sort of political conservative in the Soviet Union, you would be in favour of prolonging the highly centralized communist states you'd be a communist yeah i mean yeah, uh, precisely so and because the uk is fundamentally a liberal state has been since it depends on how far you go back i mean at the very least the end of, end, end of the second world war yeah. if not the age the very of, least where it was cemented was say 68 yeah or even or, or even if if not you know the the age of reform under you know under under gladstone um the uk is a liberal state 
so the Conservative Party, I mean, conservatism, you know, I think is a term that I think we we each have kind of passed through and now, in a sense, sort of oh, distance ourselves from. Um, because we, I think, at least I, I see it as being, you know, just the conservation of the liberal epoch. Um, right. You know, it, it's 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 the, you know, um, it's the, you know, uh, communism bad, consumer, consumer capitalism that is, you know, deracinated and borderless in which, you know, populations are uprooted and 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 ripped from their heritage is good you know like that it's so when say you know that they're they're conservatives yeah they are but they're conserving the the moral universe of, of a liberal state a, a decaying liberal state when we're when we're talking about um uh, atomization and all the rest of it and to to plug into the illegal immigration thing um so far it appears that uh, the illegal immigrants who have been moved into hotels tend to be, as far as I understand it to be the case, living in the north. Okay, so they're 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 dotted about the northeast and northwest. Does that ring true with you guys? Is that about well, right? There's very few where I live, so I suppose. Right. Uh, and area. However, they're running out of hotels. There's so many illegal immigrants, you know, we're talking 60, 70, 80,000 plus refugees we've invited who haven't been, who haven't yet been allocated permanent accommodation. Um, we're probably talking over 100,000 people whose hotel bills we're footing on a daily basis. Um, that's not to speak of uh, um, British nationals who are, are, are being housed in hotels. That illegal immigrants are now being moved into the Southwest. Um, there are hotels on the beachfront in Paynton. Um, I understand. Um, there is, uh, in, in one of the towns near me, there's a particular road that I go down frequently, semi-frequently. And over the course of the past year to 18 months, it's gone from being sort of, 100% white to 50% white. And the, a lot of the houses have been converted or, or whatever into bedsits or HMOs. And they, um, a huge amount of Nigerians have moved in specifically to that road. Um, and a lot of them spend their front time in their gardens. So um, you, you, you go down that road and you can see that, see the visible change because they spend a lot of time in the front gardens um and people have told me that they're here to work in the nhs okay in a small town um i it just i it doesn't make nothing that makes any sense it, it 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 defies any kind of uh explanation the things that are happening to our country you, you know why would you have a a, a, a completely segregated road in a, in, a, in a town like that you know it um you know obviously there's the economic reasons but why would you want such a thing mm. Mm. i mean yeah you, you mentioned you know um they're working in the in the health service i mean you know like curb immigration or who who would work in the health service well this month alone or last month alone you know there were seventy one thousand new people unemployed you know, like that that's who yeah, I mean, wouldn't we do well um, to train our own nurses, to train our own doctors? Yeah. I mean, let's put the brain drain aside. What uh, Think about the value added 
of having the, the, the training facility, staff, capacity, the construction, the infrastructure associated with those training programs. I mean, um, does, does the UK even have brain drain? I mean, yeah, it has like a domestic... No, I mean from India or so on. Oh, right, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, right. Well, I mean, that's, kind of, that's not our problem. No, 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 but it, it, um, that's why I said put it aside. But it is there, actually. There is, you know, if you wanted to make the case, which, look, I, I don't make this case, but if you wanted to make a moral case... A mo from a le from a from a left wing liberal, like if you were talking to a liberal and you wanted to say, look, this is why this is a bad idea, from the perspective of a liberal global humanism, you know, you would say, um, don't you think it's immoral to poach doctors from India who are essentially mercenaries, you know, abandoning their own people for higher wages? And secondarily, would you rather that person treat you or somebody who's gone in it to look after people? Well, well, there's also this sort of the, the classical leftist point of you depriving a nation that needs its highly intelligent people to develop and you bring them over here and there's less incentive to train up your own people into these highly skilled people that we will rely we'll on. work on the spreadsheets though as we said earlier we'll oh, oh yes we'll, we'll, you know color in bar charts and whatnot and pass fake money around yeah yeah it's um it's it's a question that we 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 did go into some depth last week and this week and, and maybe even next week but um for this this time around i think we have run out of time uh this week on on the weekend review um it's been it's been, it's been a fun one we, we we started on liz trust and then just went off topic almost immediately and then we <laughs> became another immigration episode but um yes it's uh it's it's a it's it's a very bizarre sad and, and frustrating thing to watch um and be sort of you know not have a seat at the table to to question and counter but um you know we'll do all that we can at bornbrook to um ask questions of, of this policy and series of policies um but until then uh i've been sd wicket uh that's been luke perry and Marin lagos thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week cheers